Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me this week is my friend, Ian Anderson. Welcome back. How are you doing? Good. Happy to be here. Great. Yeah, it's always great to have you here. I'm excited that you're here again, because this week we'll be running through the Netflix film Between Two Ferns, The Movie. We'll warm up with brief spoiler-free thoughts on the film, and then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And then, as always, we will round out the episode with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. The line between spoilers and non-spoilers is a little weird on this movie, so we'll see where that all falls. But first, let's read a synopsis of Between Two Ferns, the movie. Zach Galifianakis and his oddball crew take a road trip to complete a series of high-profile celebrity interviews. Between Two Ferns, the movie stars Zach Galifianakis as himself, Lauren Lapkus, Ryan Gall, and Giovanni Linaio, as well as a smorgasbord of famous actors that are playing themselves. It is written and directed by Scott Ackerman. Welcome to another edition of Between Two Ferns, and my guest today is Matthew McConaughey. Good to be here, Zach. Of all the things you can win an Oscar for, how surprised are you that you won one for acting? Here we go. I noticed that you're wearing a shirt. Is everything okay? And you have a major leak in here. I'm so I'm so sorry. Let's see what's going on with these pipes. Dude, don't do that. Help! 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 He's brought back to life, but he was momentarily dead. You owe me. Go across the country, get 10 more episodes of Between Two Ferns. 10, your dumb internet talk show, and you give me a network talk show. I'm a white man, and I'm straight, and I deserve it. So this movie is based off of a web series talk show from Funny or Die, where Zach Galifianakis interviews celebrities while sitting between two ferns. Mm -hmm. That's where the title comes from, right? So there's been... Roughly 22 episodes that have aired kind of sporadically from 2008 to 2018. And they're usually only about three to six minutes in length. So they're really short interviews. And the humor of it is that Zach Galifianakis is basically bullying the given celebrity that he's interviewing. Ian, what do you think about this web series? I love the web series. Uh, it was one of my favorite YouTube series growing up, like watching all of those, watching them interview like Barack Obama and like uh, Michelle Obama, Bradley Cooper. Like, all of that was so fun, and just seeing him roast them and the awkward silences in between, <laughs> like, that's just, it was priceless. Yeah, I really like the type of sense of humor that's in these things. I like seeing celebrities act as regular people, mm -hmm. and it's really funny to see them get kind of upset and offended and uncomfortable. By, <laughs> yeah, by what Zach's comments are. And, like, a lot of the time he just shits on their acting ability, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is really funny, and they get pretty offended. And, I mean, it's obviously staged. You can tell that there's like they're aware of the jokes before mm -hmm. they happen and things like that. But the gimmick is that the celebrities just really don't like being on the show. And then they're often mean back to Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. So you mentioned the Barack Obama one. That's one of my favorite ones. I rewatched that this morning. It's hilarious that mm -hmm. he's even on this show. <laughs> like during his presidential candidacy, he came on and he was trying to plug... Medicare Health, for all. Yeah, yeah. Medicare for all. But he was actually there and like being mean to Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> and Zach Galifianakis was bullying him. It was pretty funny. Do you have any other favorite episodes or guests? 
I do, but they're from the movie now. Really? Yeah. There are a couple that I love from the movie. Okay. There are a couple that I love from the movie too, but my favorite's from not the movie. There's the Bradley Cooper one. Uh Have you seen that one? Yeah. Where he's basically just mean to Bradley Cooper and Bradley Cooper's like, why are you doing this? We're (laughs) friends. And then the other one that I really like is the Brad Pitt one where he calls him Bradley Pitts Mm -hmm. and he calls his new upcoming movie Furry when it was actually Fury. (laughs) <laughs> and then the Steve Carell one's really funny because Steve gets really, really upset. Mm-hmm. And he like, yeah. So those are definitely great ones. I think we would both recommend checking those out. They're all really short and they're like on YouTube. Yeah, definitely. Right? And if you don't like them, then it's like three minutes of your time wasted. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. So then we have this movie, which is a little longer than three minutes. It's roughly 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when a TV show or web series or whatever is turned into a movie, the main question I like to ask is, is this a story that's best told as a feature film? And is there a reason for this transition? Is there a reason for this to exist? Yeah. So with that in mind, Ian, what did you think about Between Two Ferns, the movie? Yeah, I guess my my biggest criticism of this movie, I really enjoyed it. When it was funny, it was really funny. Mm-hmm. But when it wasn't funny, I was just like, I was just waiting for the next celebrity to come on for Zach to roast them and just just see those interviews again. I was going to this movie really hoping that it wasn't going to be as much of a like you know traditional story like feature movie. I was hoping it was going to be more of like just a 75 minute episode, but I mean that's not what we got unfortunately. <laughs> and the whole time I was just w- wishing like you know all these adventures that he was going on with his crew. I didn't really care about it. Yeah. I was just like all right, who's the next celebrity? And it was just like an entire movie of waiting for the next thing. Yeah, I I think we're on the exact same page. I guess for people who haven't seen the movie, the narrative plot of this movie is that Zach Galifianakis is forced to leave his studio where he normally does all the Between Two Fern interviews and go on a road trip to uh, get 10 high profile celebrity interviews, you know, in two weeks or something so that his boss, Will Ferrell, who I think actually did, is yeah, the owner the of Funny or yeah, Die, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but Will Ferrell is playing himself and he says, you know, if you do this, then you can get a network talk show. Uh, like you can be, you have, can have like a network late night show, yeah. basically. So, yeah, this movie is really weird to me because like you said, I think the interviews are hilarious. So when there's celebrities there, mm-hmm. it's really funny. And like when it's funny, it's hilarious. There's a couple moments, especially in the first couple interviews that killed me. Yeah. But then, as you say, yeah, there's like this very rote and completely traditional story of these people going on a road trip and he's kind of like a dick to his friends. And then he realizes that his friends are people that he should be nice to and yeah. stuff. It's it's all really, really pat and it's really boring. And so you're just sitting there like, why, like, why am I spending time with these characters when mm-hmm. I could be spending more time with the interviews? Yeah. And so that makes me wonder, why didn't they just release this as like a Netflix series of, oh, we're just going to drop 15 interviews. I was wondering that too. And what I was sort of thinking was like, you know, they wanted to do this Between Two Ferns movie. And I'm wondering if maybe Netflix didn't want to do something so risky as like just making the entire movie just interviews. Mm-hmm. They, I'm, I feel like I, maybe it was Netflix, maybe it was in like Funny or Die or something. But I'm guessing somebody was like, no, we have to like make this at least somewhat traditional Yeah, but also then why didn't they just make it like a TV show thing, like just drop five-minute episodes, episode one of Between Two Ferns, episode two, three, you know? Like, it 
doesn't seem to... I, I can't imagine that Zach Galifianakis was passionate about this story. Yeah. And the story is almost weird because you'd think that they wouldn't take it that seriously because nothing in the interviews are taken seriously. Mm -hmm. But at least the supporting actors who are fine, but they're almost like actually taking their roles seriously. And they're actually trying to have emotion between their relationship with Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. Which was weird. I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. I guess I just, I guess then I can't really tell what this movie was trying to be. Yeah, that's my main Was it thing. trying to be a movie or was it trying to be more between two ferns episodes? Right. But if it was trying to be a movie, then why did it pick such a boring premise? You maybe, know? maybe that's the joke. <laughs> but then that's like a really bad joke. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's particularly interesting for anything other yeah. than the celebrity interviews. The one thing I will say that I thought about a little bit is that when you go into the YouTube videos, the title is always like between two ferns, Zach Galifianakis, Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. So you know who's going to be on that episode. You're going in, oh, I'm going to watch Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. And then in this movie, you're sitting down to see a movie or see a movie, I guess, called Between Two Ferns, the movie. Unless you've seen the trailer, you have no idea who's going to be in there. Yeah. So you do kind of get that surprise factor of when a celebrity shows up. And that's true. So like instead of knowing exactly what you're going to get, you get like a rush of excitement when a random celebrity shows up. Yeah. And you kind of get that, oh, hey, Matt Damon isn't Thor Ragnarok kind of cameo feel mm -hmm. when the actors show up. Yeah. I definitely got that like boost of adrenaline. I was like, I was, oh, Tessa that, Thompson. That's, that's true. You know? Yeah. Whenever um, people showed up, I was like, oh, crap, I can't believe they're here. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like that's not enough to justify making this experience that in total probably would have been, I don't know, 40 minutes? Yeah. 80 minutes. Yeah. I mean, if the surprise factor was their goal, they could have just not put a title on the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or as you're saying, just make it not necessarily a 75 minute movie or whatever, but like do like Between Two Ferns, the collection and yeah. just have a couple interviews, mm -hmm. have him step off do some background stuff, step back on, and just make it kind of like, what are those called? Um, vignettes, maybe? Is okay. That, is that what I'm thinking of? Like like little little bursts. Yeah. Kinda. Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> what do you generally think about the trend of bringing TV shows, and this is not really a TV show, but it kind of is, mm -hmm. into the movie format? I I think it, again, sort of depends on what they're trying to do with the movie, if they're trying to make it, if they're trying to make it succeed as a traditional movie, I'll think of it differently than with, they're just trying to make a really long episode, you know? Do you have an example? Like Kim Possible, the movie. Not, not, not the live action shitty one, but like the, like... They used to have like TV movies and stuff like that, oh, that yeah. kind of thing. Like it was essentially just a long episode. Yeah. Those I will enjoy. But if they like marketed that as, you know, there's like going to be this huge big feature film about Kim Possible and that's what I got, I'd be really disappointed. Right. But well, so what about something like the SpongeBob movie? Like that's definitely a movie. It went into theaters and that's different than like you know, the fairly odd parents specials that well, are whatever. The, yeah, well, the same thing with the first SpongeBob movie, which I'm guessing is the one that you're thinking of. Yeah, I mean, there's other ones. Yeah, but the the first one that was success. in theaters, I, again, think that was essentially just an excuse to have an hour and a half of SpongeBob. Mm -hmm. Do you think that movie works? Yeah, 
Yeah, I do too. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's hilarious. So why does that movie work? And then maybe this one doesn't necessarily. Because it's trying to become something that it's not, I guess. Well, do you, let me ask you then, do you think that Between Two Ferns, the movie would have worked if it was like a 75 minute long interview? I think I would have enjoyed that a lot more because- Yeah, I mean, with, again, with the SpongeBob movie, what we got was just the same thing that we got on TV, but in movie length in theater. Yeah. And what we got with Between Two Ferns was a completely different thing. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't totally know if I agree with that, like if it would have been better. Because Zach Galifianakis is the type of person that I feel like I like in small bursts. Oh, okay. Um, You've seen the Hangover films? Yeah. Right? Do Wait, you... no, actually. You I haven't? No. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, have you seen <laughs> Have you seen a Zach Galifianakis film where he's like doing his thing? I don't think so, actually. I feel like I only know him from Between Two Ferns. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, I find him to be kind of of the Will Ferrell comedy schooling where it's kind of just being loud and a little annoying. Yeah. And I don't particularly find him funny for long periods of time. So I th- it would be interesting to see what a 40-minute episode mm-hmm. of him shitting on a single celebrity would be like, or maybe even like one or two or something. I think it would probably get a little grating because I found that even towards the end of this movie, some of the interviews, I was like, oh, he's kind of just doing the same thing again. Yeah. And I think the first half of the interviews are a lot better than the last half. Do you agree with that? I actually you just I think like, I enjoyed all they all seemed okay. separate to me and good. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought the first couple were really funny and then towards the end I was just sort of like this is just the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of like a one-note comedian. Yeah, I guess I can I could see how that would be an issue. But again, that's sort of the thing like you know what you're getting yourself into if you've seen the Between Two Ferns that's true. episodes. You you know going into a like 75 or 40 minute long compilation of these interviews you know what you're gonna get (laughs) well i mean so a compilation is different i guess than an extended interview of 40 minutes long oh yeah when i when i was saying i wanted like a 75 minute thing i didn't mean just one interview with one person i meant i meant like a like basically what they did in the movie but just cut out all the little story bits (laughs) (laughs) so but that's a little different than a SpongeBob movie where it's not it's not like it's like six SpongeBob episodes put together. Yeah. It's like a SpongeBob episode that has been expanded or extended because the storyline. But it's, it's still staying true to like the same yeah. the SpongeBob yeah. stories. Like <laughs> <laughs> the SpongeBob identity. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I I know what you mean. I don't know. I, I just feel like kind of fundamentally this movie is a little flawed from the conception. I like the idea of Between Two Ferns being these short little bursts of mean comedy because it is mean-natured comedy. And I think after a while, (laughs) mean-natured comedy, like the charm wears off. There's Mm -hmm. examples of people in our life that are like that where you can only tolerate them for small periods of time. Mm -hmm. And then it's sort of like, okay, maybe I need to take a step away from you for a second. So before we move on to spoilers, let's just quickly summarize our thoughts on this. You know, what would you recommend it? What's your score out of 10? I think it's a little weird to rank this because it's not really a traditional movie, mm-hmm. even though it kind of is trying to be. But overall, what did you think about this? What would you do your you know, concluding statement as? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it to people who have seen 
the original web series. I'm, I imagine tons of people have seen that, and if they enjoy that, they're definitely going to enjoy the movie. And I would also recommend it, I guess, to like my parents who definitely haven't seen the web series. So you don't think that people need to have seen the web series? To no, watch I, and those? I mean, if my disclaimer would be. If you don't enjoy like the first five minutes of the movie, then you should turn it off because that's the best it's going to get. Like yeah, with the Matthew true. McConaughey <laughs> interview, because you're just going to get more of that. And if you don't enjoy that, then you aren't going to enjoy the movie. Um, out of 10, I would probably rank it a six. Okay. I thought it was really witty and funny when it was funny, but too much of the movie I spent just like waiting for the next interview. Yeah. Okay. So. I mean, in a way, this is sort of a perfect movie to be on Netflix because it's really low risk, low investment. And yeah, you get these really funny bursts. And then one could argue cynically that Netflix was like, oh, we need this boring downtime crap so that people can check their phones and go get food (laughs) and snacks and stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's like completely the different experience from Roma or something like that where you're supposed to fully invest. This is definitely something you can do while being on your phone or working on something and it'll make you laugh. So in a way, I guess now I can see why maybe it's good as a movie. It's a mindless watch kind of thing. Yeah. I wonder also if people are more likely to watch it because of it's, it's a movie versus if it's just a little handful of like collections or something mm-hmm. like like tiny episodes i don't know if that's true i don't know i feel like it's less likely for people like, yeah. they, they won't want to invest the time into a full movie they'll want to invest their time into like a five minute mini episode yeah. although i i listened to a podcast recently i can't remember where it was or whatever but they were saying that a lot of people will start netflix content and then like especially movies and then just stop halfway through really which is my that sounds like a sign of like a psychopath or something. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I think too. I was like, I would never f- not finish something unless it was really, really bad. I can probably think of like five things ever that I started and didn't finish. There are two movies that I've walked out of. Really? Like a theater? Yeah. One was The Last Airbender. Okay, that's fair. The live action. Um, I, don't, and... I don't think I saw that in theaters, but yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. And the most recent was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. You walked out of that? Yeah. You didn't like it? I hated it. Really? I thought it was terrible. Oh, I heard it was actually pretty good. That's that's too bad. Interesting. I, I just had a... It was one of those movies that I had a generally bad movie experience, though, like with the crowd and stuff. Mm, yeah. And it was it was just not fun. Interesting. Yeah, I don't... I've never walked out of a movie. I've thought about walking out of Into the Woods... But I was like with my girlfriend at the time and her family, so I couldn't. And then <laughs> that would have been hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, and then I thought about walking out at the end of John Wick Chapter Three, but just because I was, it was just too much for me. I was like, I'm. This is a sensory overload. I'm really bored. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've never walked out of a movie, and I don't think I, I've almost never even turned off anything on Netflix. So I find that really surprising that there's like a large swath. Of yeah. people that just will start things and stop them. Yeah, it's crazy. And Netflix keeps track of that. Like, at what points do people stop? And I've heard that there's algorithms and stuff that Netflix uses to uh, kind of craft original content that is tailor-made to keep you interested and, like, keep you engaged based on knowing when people drop out. I wonder if they have an algorithm to uh, recover from their losses after Disney+. Plus. 
burn. <laughs> Good burn. Sick burn, Ian. <laughs> Thank you. Really great. I'm going to tweet that later. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Netflix had like a really bad second quarter too. They had a decrease in earnings or whatever. And for the last couple quarters, they've been like going up and up and up. So it'll be interesting. That was a huge sidetrack. So let me say just, I think, <laughs> yeah, so this is like a good Netflix movie. I wouldn't tell people not to watch it, but it's not one of those ones where I'd be like, oh my God, you have to watch this. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would probably almost even go and say like, watch the Barack Obama interview or the Bradley Pitt mm-hmm. interview. Uh, or <laughs> Bradley wait, wait, Pitts. Bradley Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> Bradley Pitt's interview. Um, Brad Pitley. And if you don't like those and you're not going to like the movie, so it's not worth your time. But I would give this like a six, 6.5, something like that as well. Yeah. So I might even say like, I feel like in maybe a month or two, they might like cut the interviews out of the movie and like put them on YouTube or something. Might wait for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like some of the interviews are really short. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting to see if they like make like a super cut of just the... The just interviews the for the interviews. movie. Yeah. And maybe they add like previous content that yeah. they cut or something. Bloopers or something. So I think what we should do now is talk about kind of specific interviews, maybe mention some of the things that we liked about the interviews. I'm thinking that we're going to call this spoilers. So, you know, <laughs> it doesn't actually spoil anything. There's not really anything to spoil other than the fact that certain celebrities are in here and certain celebrities are not. It'll ruin the surprise when they show up on screen. Right. So if you don't want to see that or hear that, turn off or skip ahead to our point two section. If you don't care about whether you know that X person is in here or not, then feel free to continue listening. So let's go with spoilers for Between Two Ferns, the movie starting now. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. All right, so... Can I take a guess at who your favorite celebrity sure. was? Was it Brie Larson? Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> so predictable. Okay. Well, I just, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it a lot, not just because I love Brie Larson, but because the jokes that Zach makes are like very real criticisms that people have about these actors sometimes. Yeah. Like he was like, Brie, you know, like people often say that you don't like taking personal questions and you don't like talking uh, too much in interviews about your life, which is like something that I have definitely heard about her. Yeah. And then he asks her about when she got her first period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so we should also say that um, there's a really funny end credits stuff yeah, with bloopers. I was going to mention that too. And um, that is the first obvious showing that like this is all staged yeah. right they're acting to be pissed and they're really just having a ton of fun mm-hmm. and brie larson just cracks up at yeah. that joke i um, really enjoyed the bloopers yeah I, th- I thought that was like the funnest part of the movie other than the first couple interviews yeah but yeah okay so you really liked brie larson mm-hmm. i think the one that made me crack up the most was the keanu reeves interview oh, do you he know was, more than 18 words yeah, it was it was on a scale from one to 100 how many words do you know <laughs> oh i will say one other thing i liked about the movie um that you don't get from if it's like the show just back to back to back mm-hmm. is that they show that they're filming all of this in some rural North Carolina town <laughs> yeah. and i think it's really funny to think of all these celebrities coming to rural North Carolina to just be shit on by Zach Galifianakis. So that was funny. Oh, something else I guess that I did enjoy that wasn't just the interviews was 
how Zach sort of like fetishizes his, like the ferns. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he just is absolutely obsessed with them and their safety. Yeah, that, that is pretty funny. And then at the very end where he's like, uh, I can give you something even better than two ferns. Three ferns? Three ferns. Nope. Go up. A hundred ferns? No, no, four, four. ferns. <laughs> so that was really good. So I think the Keanu Reeves one was definitely my favorite. I love Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, the Matthew McConaughey one was that funny That one was too. good. We'll just go through a couple of the other ones. I think I wrote down all the ones I could remember. Chance the Rapper. Mm-hmm. It was funny. The It was such a dumb joke. The um, what, Community Chess, the rapper, is his brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what an arbitrary thing. Um, they had some quick ones. Bruce Willis, Rashida Jones, Adam Scott, John Cho being creepy, which was funny. Uh, Jason Schwartzman. And then at the very end, they had Gal Gadot. Yeah. Um, or Gadot, I think. Gadot. Yeah. Gadot. Meh, whatever. Um, I know you pronounced the T. I know. Yeah. It's like people thought you didn't and then yeah. you ended up acting. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. And then... So then the kind of the crux of the movie is that he has to go get 10 interviews with 10 celebrities across the country. So the 10 that he got were David Letterman, Paul Rudd, John Legend, Tiffany Haddish, Benedict Kupasnooch. <laughs> Tessa. <laughs> yeah, no, that one was definitely one of my favorites, too. <laughs> Tessa Thompson, John Hamm, Haley Steinfeld. Awkward Fina and Peter Dinklage. Um, <laughs> so, so you thought Boopadoop Snoop Snoop was the the best one? Yeah, of I, the ten. Yeah, I think I think he was one of the funniest. Yeah. What did you think about the John Legend and Chrissy Teigen thing? Oh, I loved that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> thought it was so random. Like it, it was so random, but I I love like them are them on Twitter. They're so funny. Yeah, they are. And I haven't really seen Chrissy Teigen in anything besides Twitter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I really enjoyed that. Yeah. My I think my favorite one besides Benedict uh was David Letterman just because he introduced him as Santa Claus with an eating disorder, <laughs> which killed me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean we can go like point by point, but did you have a general any general comments on like the quality of these guests or what worked in this kind of format and what didn't? I mean, I feel like there weren't any that really missed with me, I don't think. Okay. I thought the Haley Steinfeld and the Aquafina ones were too short. They like yeah. made one joke and they weren't particularly pertinent to either of those actors. So like I would have liked more with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me wonder really how they chose what was going to be in the movie. Like if they thought that was like the best joke they could get out of Aquafina or something. Yeah, what was even the joke for Aquafina? I don't remember. Oh, it was uh, the Ocean's 8. The uh, like there should be a male version of Ocean's oh, 8. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that actually was kind of funny. And then the very last one was the Peter Dinklage one where mm-hmm. they like rob his eggs. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that whole thing? I guess I guess if any of them were a mess for me, it was Peter Dinklage then, because there was too much of the story I didn't enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> wrapped yeah. up in it. If you had to pick like another celebrity that you'd want to see on here, or not even a celebrity, but like anybody in the famous sphere, who would you pick to be roasted by Zach Galifianakis? Toby Maguire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That wasn't. You didn't have to think very long on that. Why Toby Maguire? Um. Because he's roastable. Yeah, he's really roastable, and I like would enjoy seeing if Zach can make him cry on camera. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Is he your least favorite Spider-Man? No, unless Spider-Man Three, Tobey Maguire, is my least favorite Spider-Man. I think that's 
everybody's yeah but i i I mean spider-man 2 and 1 were great i thought i think andrew garfield's my that was just a random sideline i think my the person i'd want to see is i'd want to see like more people that aren't celebrities so i know he did barack obama and did he he did hillary clinton i don't think i've actually seen that one that one was pretty recent was in 2016 when she was running but i would love to see more people like that Mm mm-hmm people that clearly we don't get to see roasted too often. Bernie Sanders would be pretty funny. That would actually be pretty <laughs> funny. He would definitely do it. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to our point two section. I know this was a pretty short review, but there's not much to this movie, so I think we're going to use the time to talk a little bit more about a couple other things that we've been watching. Um, Ian, what have you been watching? All right, so right now I'm on probably my fourth or fifth rewatch of Parks and Recreation. Okay. Not sure if you've have you seen it before. I've seen everything except for the last season. Why? I just like I was watching it. It was on Netflix, and then the last season was on wasn't on Netflix because mm-hmm. it was like airing at the time. And then when it went back on, I just kind of forgot. Oh, and I haven't gotten around to. Well, you should it watch again. it. It's really good. The last season mm-hmm. is okay. Um, the first couple episodes are pretty rough, but okay. <laughs> it en- it ends on a high note. Okay. Yeah, I guess what I want to talk about more than the entire series, though, is just like the first season or two. This is one of those shows like, I mean, all shows have to get their footing and, you know, it takes a while to do that. But Parks and Rec was like a really special case in... That it sucked for the first season? Yeah, but (laughs) I mean, it, it sucked because they filmed all six episodes of the first season like back to back without like any sort of break or talking to people like getting reception and stuff that mm-hmm. stuff like that they just like release them without really any any sort of second look i guess from audiences and it came out pretty bad and when i was doing research about this i found that the first episode of parks and rec was the highest rated episode of the entire series like viewership wise viewership wise yeah okay um because it was hyped up to be like the next office pretty much and when people found out that it wasn't the next office they like jumped shit and never watched again well i remember that it was almost like posed as a spin-off of the office and like it was going to take place in the same universe almost and they had plans for doing that and right like leslie nope was supposed to be the new michael scott yeah yeah and that's something else that I w- was really noticing this walk watch through all the characters are so different in the first season they they do things that they would never do like Leslie she's somebody who's always following every single rule to the T she goes above and beyond in her job and in the first season she drinks on the job and like breaks a ton of rules oh, I don't remember that at all yeah she gets like pressured by Mark Mark Brandanowitz to go hang out with a bunch of guys and drink beer and uh, stuff. Ah, Mark Brandanowitz. Yeah, also somebody... What a blast from the past. <laughs> also somebody who, like, if you put him in, like, season, like, five or six, like, he wouldn't make sense. And he would be eaten alive. Yeah. Like, 
just he, the manic energy of those uh, actors. He yeah. would not be able it to keep up with that. It becomes so zany after season one. Like season one, you can tell that it was trying to be sort of office-like where it was, I guess, a bit darker and mm-hmm. more cynical. Yeah, well, I think I think like one of the cool parts about The Office is that it's low-key depressing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just a whole bunch of employees in a boring, dead-end job. And Michael Scott is trying to, like, make everything interesting and be funny and stuff like that. And all the employees are just yeah putting up with his shit because they just want to get to the end of the day. And that, that yeah. same thing is in season one. Like, Tom Haverford, who becomes, like, this, like, flamboyant ball of energy by mm-hmm. the end of the series, he's in like normal gray work clothes in season one doesn't have crazy hair going on doesn't like have the same high-pitched voice that he does towards the end of the series he's a completely different character chris pratt's andy dwyer he is known as like the goofball of uh the show and in season one he's just a jerk <laughs> like and- he just like is emotionally abusive to his girlfriend Anne. yeah <laughs> pretty yeah. much and like <laughs> The season five or six, Andy would absolutely never do those things. Yeah. So when you first watched the show, did you start from season one or did no. you kind of like jump in in the middle? I think I jumped in in like season three or something. Okay. And then I rewatched it again. Mm-hmm. Were you watching it like as it was getting newer seasons mm-hmm. or? Okay. Yeah. I started live with season three. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you've, you've, you watched it for a while. So yeah, I, I watched it like when everything was on Netflix except for the last season. So sometime in college. Mm -hmm. And I remember I watched the first, or I started watching it over like a winter break or a summer break or something. So I was home, had a lot of downtime. And I remember Googling, like I I had heard that season one was awful. Mm -hmm. So I I remember Googling, like, do you need to watch season one? And people were like, no, you can skip season one, but pretty much can. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't like the completionist in me couldn't. So I watched season one and I watched it probably in like a day or two because it's, it's a lot shorter. Six episodes. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember I was watching it in the living room and my mom would come in and out of the room and watch parts of it and just be like, this show is fucking terrible. Yeah. You need to stop watching this. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I I heard it gets better. I'm sorry. And then, of course, once I got to season two, she no longer came in the room and then I went back (laughs) to school and stuff. So, like... I'm sure if you ask my mom what you thought, what she thinks of Parks and Rec, she'd be like, that's probably the worst show I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Your mom pretty much represents American audiences when the show came out, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. But it's pretty impressive that the show was able to kind of bounce back from that yeah. and then rise to the level of success and popularity that it did. Yeah. Can you think of a show that did that like any other show? No, I, I think Parks and Rec is my prime example for when people talk about shows like that. Of like bad first season, yeah. excellent yeah. continuing. I know there's other examples. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, oh, actually, I do know of a pretty good example of that. Okay. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We talked about that last oh, week. Oh, yeah. First season, pretty bad. Well, actually, even just like the first half of season one, mm. pretty bad. And then it gets pretty solid. It gets more confident in itself. So that's a solid example. I don't think it's quite the same level of like shit to success yeah. that parks and recs had but yeah i I guess to finish up my sort of little review of parks and rec (laughs) i would (laughs) i would recommend to people that if they're going to watch this show actually don't start at season one maybe start 
I don't want to say do exactly what I did, but I had a really great experience with the show. <laughs> um, like I, I started as soon as um, Chris Traeger and Ben Wyatt come on, Adam Scott and Rob Lowe. Yeah. And I've always heard that's like when the show gets like so good when those two characters are added. And after watching through it a few times, I really think that when they first get there, it's, it's like really good. And I think people should start in that episode and then if they enjoy it and enjoy the characters go back and watch seasons one and two because it's fun and it's more time with the characters i guess even if they're really different so now that you've done your most recent watch through Mm -hmm. do you think that having season one and two adds anything to the show or do you think you can get the full experience just by starting at three because that's the thing i was most concerned about and that's why i didn't the only reason I would say to watch seasons one and two is because it foreshadows a lot of things that do happen later in the series, like Leslie Nope's Park Project that starts in season one, mm-hmm. and that goes throughout the entire series, and it's referenced throughout the entire series. Andy's relationship with Anne is referenced a lot. Oh, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's pretty much only in seasons one and two. Just little things like that, relationships that you should know existed I would recommend watching those. Yeah, cool. Okay, I I love the show though. Yeah, and I like it more than The Office. I think. Really, I was just about to ask you that. I think that's slightly controversial, but I do know a lot of people that share that. Is yeah. there a reason for that? Like, do you not like The Office, or do you just like Parks and Rec that much more? I just enjoy the characters. I think more in Parks and Rec. It's just mm-hmm. a brighter show. I yeah. guess it's um. In 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 the office, the only zany kind of fun that you find is between characters like Dwight and Jim and Michael and everybody. And in Parks and Rec, it's really everybody besides Mark Brandanowitz, but they write him out. So <laughs> <laughs> Mark Brandanowitz. Oh, another sick burn. Good job. <laughs> so what I've been watching um, last week, I saw Ad Astra. This is a top-secret psychological evaluation. Please describe your current emotional state. I'm steady, calm, ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I will remain calm. I will remain focused. You look just like your dad there. He was the first man to the outer solar system. He was a pioneer. But there was much more to him than that. Oh, yeah. How was that? You've heard about that? Yeah. So that's the Brad Pitt space movie. Uh, It's currently in theaters. It's set in the near future, and Brad Pitt plays an astronaut who has to go to the edge of our solar system in search of his father who disappeared years ago or whatever. The usual, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, pretty typical space (laughs) stuff. Um, But I thought this film was really excellent. Um, I saw it in IMAX, which I would definitely recommend because it's gorgeous. There's some shots that are just incredible, and they're on the level of any other classic space thing. Um, I will say that the film is very introspective and it's very quiet and slow for most of the time. So it's a lot of Brad Pitt just kind of reflecting on his character's life and pondering the more thematic elements of the film. So there's not a ton of action. There are moments of action. And I think those action beats are really, really cool. But 
they're like the exception, not the rule. I went in knowing that. So I had an expectation that it was going to be slow. So I was prepared for that. Um, even so, we went at 9.50 p.m. And it's like a two-hour movie. So towards the end, even though I really liked the movie, I was definitely nodding off yeah. at the end. So I would recommend a slightly earlier showing the 9.50 if you do go. And then just be prepared to have the film feel somewhat taxing because it's taxing to the characters both emotionally and physically. So it, it is a little bit taxing to watch. It's not one of those like The Martian where you can just plug it in and, oh, I'm just going to have fun with Matt Damon in space. It's not one of those movies. So you just need to be aware of going into it like that. Um, it's a lot like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Have you seen that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't love that movie because I think it's really boring, <laughs> mm. but it's I think it's kind of like a spiritual successor to that film in the sense that it's very slow paced and meditative. Other than the visuals, I think the film has two things that are just excellent in it. The first is Brad Pitt's performance. It's one of his best. There's a podcast called The Big Picture um, on the Ringer Network, and they had like a whole episode of this talking about Brad Pitt and kind of like his career and stuff like that. And it's incredible how much this dude has done yeah. and like the versatility in his roles. What's crazy about him is he's just so incredibly watchable. Like it's just relaxing to watch him on screen. And mm -hmm. I think I said something very similar in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood review yeah. where like you just like watching him on screen. And I think that allows the movie to take its time a little more because you're kind of just like, ah, Brad Pitt, he's really attractive and he's got that like smarmy smile and it's fun to just hear him talk yeah. and exist. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think the film would work with an actor that wasn't Brad Pitt. Hmm. So um, the other thing that I really liked about the film is the world building, which I think is really important for any like great piece of science fiction. It takes place in the near future. So I really liked seeing how the world is affected by advances in space travel and then specifically how space travel is a lot more normalized. So there's things like commercial space travel to the moon and hmm. there's like a colony on the moon and stuff. But it's all the attention to detail of like thinking about what that would mean for our society and what a society on the moon, for example, or like a an airport terminal-esque building on the moon would look like yeah. in the near future is really cool. And it's also kind of funny. How near in the future is this? Do I mean, you know? they don't give like, it, it literally starts the movie with like a, a thing that says in the near future, oh, okay. dot, dot, dot. They don't put like a date on it, but it's very clearly like, Space travel has been really common for probably a couple decades, but it, it's not like a thousand years in the future. It's probably not even like 300 years in the future. Do they mention like SpaceX or Elon Musk at all? No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know. No, but, there, <laughs> but there's like he flies commercially to the moon and it's a Virgin Atlantic flight, I think. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. Virgin Airlines. Yeah. And yeah, so it's just really clever and it makes the film feel really grounded and lived in, which I really liked. Yeah. So, I mean, I would definitely recommend this. It's definitely one of the better films I've seen this year. So go into it, but expect that it's not like, it's more like 2001 than it is like Interstellar, mm -hmm. for example. Okay. So what about compared to like Gravity? Because I found that movie pretty slow. I would say it's probably slower than Gravity. <laughs> yeah. Well... No, I would put it on par with gravity in the sense that like, because there's kind of these big explosive but very brief mm -hmm. action set pieces yeah. in gravity and Interstellar is very similar. Okay. Less Sandra Bullock screaming in space. Brad Pitt doesn't I'm really on board. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did, do you not like gravity? I don't like Sandra Bullock. 
Oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. I forgot you really don't like Sandra Bullock. Okay. <laughs> the other thing that I want to talk about is I just recently finished my rewatch of How I Met Your Mother. That is the show from the early 2000s about five friends living in New York City. And the premise of the show is that one of the characters, Ted, is telling this massively long story to his kids about how he met his mother and kind of everything that led up to that moment. Mm -hmm. So the whole story or each episode is like part of a story that he's telling as a flashback to his kids in like 2030 or whatever. But when I mentioned this to you, Ian, I, I asked, had you seen this? You said you've seen this countless times. Yeah, I have. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the show? I love it. Um, or I, I loved it, I guess. I, after thinking about it last night, I sort of realized I, I don't think it would age well with me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would go back to it and like hear like laugh tracks and stuff and just be like, oh, this is terrible, yeah. like network television. Okay. I mean, as a friend's baby, laugh tracks don't bother me at all. I will say that like friends, how I Met Your Mother has some slightly dated humor. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, very true. And I mean, at the very least, the, I, I've mentioned this show on this podcast before. And so at the very least, like they're not rewarding the characters necessarily for some of their worser comments. Like there's it's not the best treatment of women sometimes mm -hmm. on this show. But yeah, I mean, this was a show that I watched in high school kind of before Netflix was like yeah, a big same. thing. Yeah, so most of them were just re reruns on CBS or WGBN and they were like in syndication. So I saw them out of order and I saw some episodes like a billion times and others once. Isn't that crazy that that's not a thing anymore? Yeah. Like kids will never just go home after class or I mean after school and be like, oh, what's on TV? Well, let me just check what's on Nickelodeon. Yeah. And I'll watch the same SpongeBob episode I've seen a million times. Like now you have complete control over it. Like what now you they watch. can go to Disney Plus and watch literally anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Um, I think the final season aired my freshman year of college. So I watched that one like week to week mm -hmm. on CBS online or whatever. But other than that, the show was just sort of like a comfort show that I watched in the afternoon. Yeah. And I think I also, I agree with you. I, I really like the show. Even now, I, I really like it. I think it's hilarious. And unlike a lot of sitcom shows, it's very smartly written. There's a lot of callbacks and recurring jokes throughout the series. And I really like how it plays with the idea of storytelling mm -hmm. and how different characters will have different experiences from the same story so it kind of makes things that are pretty traditionally you know comedy tropes it kind of gives them a little more of a fresh spin and there's like a unique take on it and it gives an identity to the show that a lot of sitcoms don't necessarily have yeah and i think that's really important because how i met your mother is like it borrows a lot from friends mm -hmm. um like the location and hanging out at a bar instead of a coffee shop all that but overall, I thought, I think it's a pretty great show. Um, the thing I really liked about it also was that there was always this overarching story mm -hmm. through it. Um, and so we were kind of always leading up to Ted meeting his wife and the mother of his children. It definitely went on way too long. Yeah, that was, I was going to say that. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is that it got really popular. And so they had to drag it out because, 
they wanted to make more money mm-hmm. uh, and the episodes were pretty easy to make and probably pretty cheap. So they dragged out this story that was far too long. So they built up this expectation for, you know, this amazing payoff when they finally meet the mother and they extended the story and put all these little drops and hints and stuff. Mm. And you can really feel them milking it in the last couple seasons. And then the finale happens Right. And the finale of the show. (laughs) Yeah. It's commonly known as one of the worst ends to a television show ever, um, even now. Yeah. And this was the very first time that I watched the series from start to finish, knowing how the show ends. So, what I want to talk to you a little bit about is kind of the ending. First off, what you thought about it and how that may have changed as during the rewatches, and then how knowing where that goes uh, affects your perception of the show as it went along. So obviously, I'll just quickly say we're going to be doing spoilers for Mm -hmm. How I Met Your Mother here to talk about this. So if you haven't seen the show and you don't want to be spoiled by the ending, skip ahead. This is probably the last thing we're talking about. So you can also just stop listening to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So first thing I just I'm curious about asking you is, do you agree that the show has a bad ending? Yeah, I I was furious. (laughs) Okay. So have you seen the ending since then? Yeah. So you've you've watched it all the way through? Yeah. Yeah. I I watched it with some people on the team my freshman sophomore year oh right yeah i knew that okay so why do you not like the ending to this show really like what you were talking about like um the the ending affecting like future watch throughs or whatever and my perception of the overall story that did really change i think when i saw the ending and with with robin and barney specifically and then robin and ted i guess yeah like that made me so angry because now when I do my watch throughs and I see how happy Barney is when he's with Robin, I'm like, well, this is going nowhere and you're going to be sad again. Yeah. <laughs> and alone. <laughs> like I was like I was so happy when they got together and he finally had someone that he like actually cared about besides like these hundreds and hundreds of women that he had sex with before. And Ted had his girl that he had been treating like was the only one, you know, this was going to be like the woman for him. And and I think a lot of people predicted that she was going to be dead by the end of the story. Yeah. And she was. But and obviously people can move on after that. But why did he have to move on back to Robin? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I think this is. This ending is actually really interesting because I see what they were going for and I see what they were trying to do in the early seasons. So when you rewatch especially the first season and you think about the ending, I think the first season makes a ton of sense. Set the blue French horn. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's all just about his relationship to Robin. And you can tell that they had the ending planned from the very first season because they have the children who is the dude from Wizards of Waverly Place. So he's much older now. So in 2013, they played the old footage of them talking about, you know, the ending, which is Rob or Ted saying, well, then she's she's dead. Like, oh, no, I really want to be with Robin. Or do you think I should do that? And this is actually a story about how I'm in love with Robin. I think that makes a lot of sense for the first couple seasons. Like if there was a three-season arc yeah, and it was all about him getting over Robin, but never not getting over him. I thought that would have been fine. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's in a way, it's almost beautiful, I guess, in a sense that like, 
you know, he, well, I don't know. They I don't find know, their way back to each other. Something like that. <laughs> but then I think the main problem is that the show got really famous and popular and people started loving Barney Stinson. Mm. Like, I think the show put in so much, even especially the last couple of seasons, Ted doesn't really have anything to do. Mm-hmm. It's almost exclusively Barney's show. Like, he's the one that's maturing and he Ted, Ted is very static so that Barney can have time to evolve and finally settle down to be a person. Yeah. And I think that really ruins the Ted and Robin thing by introducing this fan favorite character who everybody is like, oh, we want him to stay with Robin. Mm-hmm. Like, had they never done that, I think the ending would have been a lot better. Yeah, definitely. But by then, by the end, we were like emotionally invested in Barney and Robin together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is the frustrating part too, because I think... And I guess they couldn't have done anything about that at that point because they already filmed the beginning. Yeah. Right. And not... I mean, like the finale is also just really, really bad, not just with the final shot, like not even how it ends. Like I think that the entire episode is just pretty bad. It's really rushed for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand why they had to rush through everything. I don't really need to know Marshall's applying for a judgeship and stuff like that. Like, I, I didn't really need to see them split apart or anything like that. I yeah. could have seen them, him meet the mother and then somehow show the divorce really quickly and then move on. Like, it just, everything felt really rushed and it was completely out of character of the show because the show is really detailed in telling and telling everything. Tedious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was super weird. Um, but then I also really didn't like how they assassinated Barney's character arc. And like, to an extent, Robin's, yeah. too. They spent all this time of them growing up and figuring out that this is what they wanted to be. And then Barney just went back to his same shit, yeah. which really bothered me. I will say that I really liked the scene between Barney and his kid. And I think that's a great place for Barney to get to because it was always clear that Barney is a very caring person mm-hmm. and he does really love kids. So I liked that. I just don't know why they, if that they was kept, where they, they were kept going that, for. But they yeah. didn't keep the rest of his character growth. Right. Like if that's what they were going for, why didn't they have him, you know, date Robin in like season seven and then get divorced in season eight and then have the kid and then have like a small season of him having a kid, you know, or something. Cause like that's, that is a great place to go, but they just like rushed through like a decline and a rise back up. It was super weird, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I realized, so the first couple seasons uh, during my rewatch, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm warming up to the ending. I think this ending is actually fine. And then that last season, that last season is just completely not building up yeah. to that ending. It was so frustrating. I think um, we feel the same way about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think that if this show had a better ending, it would be considered like one of the all-time great comedy sitcoms? Yeah. I mean, I I think so. Yeah. I, I still really enjoyed the show. Yeah. It's, it's a huge bummer that it just ended... It was almost like a, it felt kind of like a lazy ending. Mm. I don't know. Have you seen the alternate ending? No. It's on YouTube and the mom doesn't die. And it's just like a Bob Saget voiceover. Is it, do you enjoy that one more? I mean, it's better. It's clearly like the alternate ending because there's not really footage of it or anything, but it's better. Okay. Yeah. Check it out. And you can pretend that that's the, the finale. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's really funny. The the last thing that I noticed about this is that David Henry and the girl that plays, um, what's her name? Patty or something. What's 
What's the, the daughter's name? Oh, no, I was thinking of somebody else. I don't The daughter? Well, well, the daughter. Anyways, her name. It's something like Lily or something like okay. that. Okay. I don't I don't know what her name is. The daughter who's sitting on the couch for the Penny. whole season? Okay. Penny. It's Penny. Um, anyways, those two characters, they had to know how the show was going to end for like 10 years. Oh, yeah, that's true. And it's also crazy that they were probably paid for just their appearance fees in the like start of each episode yeah. over and over and over again without having to do any work. Like That seems incredible. I wonder if like it was one of those situations where they were told there were like tons of endings, you know, so they were kept uh, in the dark. They yeah. end-gamed. Yes. They end-gamed David They end-gamed the ending. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this has been our review of Between Two Ferns, the movie, as well as a pretty extended point two section. Ian, thank you for joining me again this week. Of course. I'm hoping you'll continue to join me from time to time. Um, it'll be fun. We can kind of get a semi-regular guest appearance going on. Yeah. Um, where can people find you online? You can follow me at Anderson on Twitter. The O in Anderson is a zero. Mm. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Or My Twitter. I need more followers. My ratio sucks. Yeah, my, my <laughs> ratio is crap too, but... No, no Zack Snyder dig. Oh, crap. You know, in the last episode of How I Met Your Mother, they tried to cram in so many different storylines. It uh, it just felt like Justice League all over again. Ah, there it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I see that. Yeah. Every time we talk about something that's rushed, I'm going to bring that up. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to plug really quickly a great site that's run by my friends and former guests of the podcast, Ollie and Mike. They have a film and television review site called Out of Our Element, and I have recently started writing for them on a pretty informal basis. Um, I think Mike and Ollie, they're both great guys, so I'm really excited to be part of that team in like a really small capacity, and I hope people will check out the site. They have a lot of writing on there, and I will continue to contribute when I can. Um, that is at outofourelement.co.uk There is one last thing I want to plug. Um, I want to plug my hatred of Zack Snyder's uh, DCEU movies. Oh. <laughs> um, and <laughs> just, you know, if you go and watch Between Two Ferns the movie, something you'll notice is the ratio of MCU actors to DCEU actors is way off. There's, yeah. there's Gal Gadot, but there's probably five or six MCU actors. I guess you can just pr- maybe think about why that is. What? There's just more Marvel movies. Yeah, but there are more Marvel movies because they're better. Ah, okay. So you're really taking a side on this whole DC Marvel thing. Okay, well, okay, on the, okay, mo- so, sorry, on the movie Marvel side. Marvel versus Zack Snyder's DCEU. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Stand in your ground. The, <laughs> the intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMaripod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMaripod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. 
You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. Thank you all for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time when we run through the latest DC film, Joker. Are you excited for that, Ian? Meh. I'll see it. Yeah? I'm definitely going to see it, but... I, I could be more excited for it, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm that way too. I don't love Joker as a character. I think he's just... I, I just really enjoy the sort of psychopath Joker, and I feel like that's not what we're going to get. From what I've heard, he's like an incel murderer <laughs> Joker. Yeah. Like, it's getting ton of buzz already for like Oscars and everything, so... I, I imagine he does a great job acting. I just don't really care about like the like, oh, he had such a sad life and he became the Joker because he was handed a really rough, like bad deck of cards. In uh, life, you know? I get it. Because uh, Jokers, Jokers are, are on cards. Cards, uh, yeah. Okay. You're, you're clever. Maybe you should write for DC. Okay. All right. Well, until then. <laughs> bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.